0: Good morning, I'm Bob Lonick. I'm one of the elders here at Faith. It's my privilege to share the passage that Pastor Nathan is going to be preaching out of in our series out of Hebrews. It's Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. In the black Bible in the chair in front of you, it's on page 1196. Or if you have the workbook we've been going through, it's on page 48. The word of the Lord, Hebrews 11:32 through 35. became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, Like Bob said, my name is Nathan, one of your pastors, and uh, happy Palm Sunday to you all celebrating jesus triumphal entry into jerusalem for those of you visiting or maybe you're here for the first time in a while uh, we are still continuing in our series on the book of hebrews greater than looking at the the person of jesus and how he is greater than all these things in the old testament and we're continuing in chapter 11 the great faith chapter and so uh, in these verses we just read Uh, My prayer for us is that God will illumine our hearts to see how he brings deliverance to his people. Specifically, that deliverance comes through persevering faith in a faithful God. That deliverance comes through persevering faith in a faithful God. But what does persevering faith look like? Several years ago, I was attending a fifth-grade girls volleyball game in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Riveting gameplay, as uh, for many of the girls, it was clear to see that this was their first time ever playing volleyball. Um, The team I was there to see had a great coach. She really knew her stuff. Uh, That was my wife, Claire. Um, But the team wasn't exactly always living up to their expectations. Uh, When the ball was served to them, they were enthusiastic about just being able to get the ball back over the net with three tries. but there was this one girl on her team, uh, a real Barnabas type, a real encourager, uh, who was constantly trying to encourage her team to play better. Uh, I admired her effort, but I wasn't always sure if it was working. Uh, some of the things she would be yelling out either from the bench or from the court would be like, try harder. And I, I remember like, kind of putting myself in, in that perspective of her teammate like what how would I respond like I am trying can't you see Uh, never give up like I'm still out here on the court what more do you want from me Uh, or maybe one of the things she yelled was come on we got this it's game point and we're losing 20 to 5 but one that sticks in the minds of both Claire and I is when she would yell out have faith have faith in what our subpar ability to play volleyball See, trying to strengthen our faith to help us achieve things is really of no help at all because often the thing in which we place our faith is our own subpar ability. It's not a faith that lasts. This morning we're going to be looking at how persevering faith is a faith in something greater than ourselves, a faith in the faithfulness of God. So if you haven't turned there already, I'd invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. These verses begin with a rhetorical question. The author asks, and what more shall I say? Keep in mind, all of chapter 11, he's had this theme of by faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. So he's kind of drawing his uh, argument to a close, and he says, Do you really need me to continue? Do you have enough examples yet? He says, for time would fail me. It's a common way of expressing that he did not have the space, literally, to write more. You know, in the letters in the first century, we're using valuable materials like animal skin, and they had limits to them, unlike the chain emails you get from your great aunt that you never talk to. So... The author of Hebrews is wrapping up this by faith portion of his letter. We can expect to see some pretty impressive names, right? I mean, at first glance, we read these six names and think, okay, I know some of these guys. Gideon, he was the guy who defeated the Midianites with torches and clay pots and a lot of yelling. Samson, he was a strong dude who killed the Philistines. David... You know, he was king, and, uh, you know, he was a man after God's own heart. We also know him from David and Goliath, that story that we read in kids' kids Bible stories. Uh, Samuel, the last judge, the first prophet of Israel, anointed both Saul and David as king. But we might not be as familiar with Barak or Jephthah. Furthermore, the things that we often remember are usually not that positive, specifically about these guys. The bottom line is that most of these names are not impressive, especially when compared to names mentioned earlier in this chapter, like Abraham or Moses. And he chooses to name these guys over people like Ezra, Isaiah, Jeremiah, other people that were faithful, but he chooses these. Why are they here? Well, the author is closing this portion of his letter chapter 11 as he looks towards what he's going to say in chapter 12 he's closing his argument by shifting from the faith of individuals to the faithfulness of God and what do I mean by that well to really get a picture of what the author is trying to say by mentioning these people specifically we need to revisit the narratives uh, where we find these characters. So, if you want to have a finger here in Hebrews chapter 11, we're also going to be looking at some passages in Judges. Um, and you can flip back there with me if you'd like. So, the first person, Gideon, who was he? Judges chapter 6 through 8. Here's just some things that we know about Gideon from this, these uh, passages clan, His clan was the least in the tribe of Manasseh, and he was least in his father's house. Uh, Verse 13 of chapter 6, the Lord comes to Gideon, and Gideon responds, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened? And where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. So he's telling the Lord, Lord, where are you in our lives? Why are we suffering? But he does uh, ask for multiple signs. God proves who he is. He ends up te- tearing down the Baal altars and Asherah poles at night. He defeats the Midianites with 300 men after the Lord had whittled his army down. And in, but in the later years, he pursues women, goes astray a little bit. He makes a golden ephod that became a stumbling block for Israel. Barak, actually before Gideon, but in, in Judges chapter 4, but listed second here in Hebrews, not a lot is given about his background, uh, but Deborah, the prophetess, goes to Barak and says, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Meaning, it's possible that Barak had already been told by God at least once to do this, and yet he had not um, followed through. But through Um, Deborah God tells Barak that he would hand over King Jabin and the Canaanites to him yet Barak says he will only go up if Deborah goes with him she says well that's okay but you will receive no honor for this victory and your enemy the commander of the army Sisera will be handed over to a woman so God delivers Israel again and Sisera was killed by Jael when she drove a tent peg through his head what a way to go out Samson, Judges 13 through 16. We know some stories of Samson because of the tales of his strength, right? Like, this seems like the kind of guy that God could use to deliver his people. He was born to a mother, to a woman, who was barren up until that point. An angel of the Lord came and visited Samson's mother, uh, and he promised her that she would conceive and have a son, she ran and t- told her husband Manoah, that's not Moana for you younger people, Manoah, um, Judges 13, verse 6. This is what she says A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. It's word for word what the ESV says. I just wish it was word for word what my students said about me. Very awesome. So obviously, the text is kind of hinting at the awe-inspiring nature of God entering into um, this family's life to bring about the birth of Samson. But, you know, the word awesome nowadays kind of just means super cool or something like that. So as I was reading this passage this week, I kind of just pictured the angel dressed in really trendy clothes, those brand-new camel-skin sandals, maybe a bow tie, maybe it looked like Pastor Joey, except maybe a bit taller. But I digress, right? We're talking about Samson, uh, not the pastors here. So what do we know about Samson? The Lord gives him superhuman strength, and he begins to defeat Israel's oppressors, the Philistines. But he lacked self-control, he was constantly pursuing prostitutes and foreign women who led him astray, and he did not always stick to his Nazarite vow. The Philistines then used his lady friend Delilah to find out the secret to his strength. And she nagged him and begged him until, you know, once again, as scripture has said, his soul was vexed to death. She nagged him so much that he wanted to die. And that's why he gave in. And then the Philistines are celebrating and worshiping the gods because they were able to conquer the mighty Samson. But as Samson prayed, God gave Samson his strength back one more time and he tore down the temple of Dagon with everyone inside and delivered Israel from the Philistines. What do we know about Jephthah? Judges 11 and 12. There's one thing we know about him it's usually the fact that he made a fateful vow to God to sacrifice whatever came home to greet him if God were to give him victory. We don't have time to dig into what really happened with his vow, but I want us to revisit his story and still hit the highlights. He was the son of a prostitute, an outcast of his family, and you're thinking, I thought you said highlights, but the author of Judges and the author of Hebrews, he's here for a reason, so we want to pay attention to these little details, and he's outcast from his family and tribe, yet they come to find him because they want a leader for their armies to defeat the Ammonites. He tries to make peace with the king of Ammon, and he recounted the exodus and the wandering in the desert, the history of Israel, to the king of Ammon, saying, our Lord has surely given us victory here, and yet you would want to come against us. But the king of Ammon does not listen, so he goes to war with the Ammonites, and the Lord delivered them into his hand. David, like I mentioned, we know from David and Goliath, among uh, many other stories, He, too, was the youngest in his family, but he becomes the second king of Israel. He escaped death countless times because the Lord was watching out for him. He was a man after God's own heart, but he committed adultery and murder. And at the end of his life, he took a census at the end of his reign, and it displeased the Lord because he was trying to assess the strength of his army rather than just trusting God to protect him. There's much more we could say about David, but the last name, Samuel, he was the last judge of Israel, but also the first prophet of Israel. He also was born to a woman who previously was barren. He anointed Saul and David as kings, was truly a man of integrity, consistently obeyed God despite what it cost him. Yet when he died, we don't get this elaborate, you know, picture of all that he had done and said. We don't get this, you know, happily ever after. You know, 1 Samuel 25.1, now Samuel died. All Israel assembled and mourned for him. That's it. That, that's all it says about, you know, his final days. He dies and David isn't even king yet. He didn't even get to see that promise fulfilled. Now, the author could mention more people by name, but he doesn't. He kind of summarizes the rest of Israelite history with the prophets. From the beginning of Judges to when Jesus comes back, he's summarizing about 1,400 years of Israelite history in just a few verses, just to have some perspective. And the people he names and the prophets, there were people who remained faithful to the Lord throughout the idolatry and apostasy of Israel. So he mentions to these people, um, he mentions to his readers, these people who, through faith, they, and then he follows it with a list of ten things. And these are kind of the victorious things. Pastor Joey is going to be preaching the negative side of this half of verses, starting in verse 35b. But what does he list here in these verses? He says, they, through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. So these judges, kings, prophets did some pretty incredible things through faith. Some of these people he refers to anonymously. You know, Daniel stopped the mouths of lions. His three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, quenched the power of fire in the fiery furnace. There was also plenty of faithful followers of God who escaped the sword, such as Elijah escaping from Jezebel, or even all the Jews that God saved from Haman's attempted genocide in Esther. What about being made strong out of weakness? We can think of Elijah as he was exhausted in the desert, or Gideon, uh, you know, the 300 versus the thousands of the Midianites. Samson, you know, who cu- had his hair cut and lost his strength, his eyes gouged out. There's the story of David and Goliath, I mean, the epitome of strength and weakness. Women received back their dead by resurrection. The author probably has in mind Elijah and the widow from Zarephath, or Elisha and the Shunammite woman, who through the faith of Elijah and Elisha, these boys were resurrected. And on and on and on the list goes. Countless examples of how God was faithful to deliver his people, who through faith, they persevered. Now these people brought deliverance to the people of God. We see how God used them despite their lack of faith and their flaws. We see that their faith persevered because they trusted in God. They trusted the one in whom they had placed their faith. So what can we distill from these stories? I know that was a lot of history and narrative, and you know, if you're still listening, I applaud you. But what can we take away from these stories of these people that the author of Hebrews mentions? Well, I believe there are three characteristics of persevering faith that we see in these people. The first is this. Faith perseveres, By remembering God's faithfulness in the past. It perseveres by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. As we look at the narratives surrounding these people, we see a tendency on the part of the faithful people to remember and recount and recall the faithfulness of God in the past. We saw that in the life of Gideon. He recounted to the Lord himself that he had brought them out of Egypt. Jephthah recounted uh, God's faithfulness to the king of Ammon. It was almost as if he was saying, come at me, bro. We've got our heavenly father who's protecting us. David continually recounted God's faithfulness to the people around him and to the whole of Israel. But he also did this through the Psalms. Here's just an excerpt from Psalm 143, a Psalm of David. As David's soul thirsts for the Lord, he says this, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Our faith is strengthened as we remember and recall God's faithfulness, faithfulness to us in the past. And yes, Bible stories and what he has done in scripture is a great place to start. But I think another way we do that is by recounting God's faithfulness in our lives specifically. You know, growing up, for as long as I can remember, my family collected things in a memorial box. My parents would put little trinkets and other mementos to remind us of events where we saw God's faithfulness in our lives. The little white van down there in the bottom left corner was to remind us of the time when we were on vacation in our Ford Aerostar, and the van broke down in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York, but there was, just happened to be a house over here to the side, and the person who lived there was a mechanic. And he helped us fix our car, called a tow truck, and as far as I remember, I might be misremembering it, but he did so free of charge. So we saw God's faithfulness in that circumstance. There's a piece of a vine in the middle of a box Um, That was to remind us of the time that we had returned from a vacation, a different one. But we came back to see this large tree leaning on top of our house. And it was right on top of this new addition that we had just built. Only when we got closer as we got to the house, we realized it had not touched our house. There was a vine about a half an inch thick that was wrapped around it, wrapped around some other trees, and was suspending it over our house. We saw God's faithfulness time and time again. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to speak of the Lego shark that you see, or the car key, or the small cans of soup in the corner. My parents would retell these stories to us time and time again. It, It sat there right, you know, in the kitchen, right at the kitchen table, so when we're having dinner together as a family, we'd be like, Dad... Tell us the story of, you know, the pecan tree again. Or tell us the story of the shark. Or tell us the story of this. And they would recount to us the faithfulness of God. Why? So that when we were facing trials, hard times, uncertainty, we would remember the ways that God has been faithful to us in the past. And this would result in the strengthening of our faith. The strengthening of my faith. So faith perseveres by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. The second thing that we see in these stories is that faith perseveres by believing God's promises for the future. Believing God's promises for the future. In each of these life stories, we see that they have a focus on the future. The author of Hebrews also has made this observation when he says that they obtained promises. It was there in that list of ten things. You know, it's one of the many things that he lists that they did. But sometimes God does promise things for our immediate circumstances. He promised Gideon and Barak that he would deliver their enemies into their hands. Yet we still see a lack of courage in these men. But in the end, their faith in God persevered and won out. Gideon went to war with Midian and conquered them by the hand of God with only 300 men. Barak went to battle with foot soldiers against 900 chariots and put his life on the line even though he would not receive, he knew he would not receive any honor for it. Right? That sometimes we give Barak a hard time like, oh, he was a wimp. He didn't want to go. Well, it's true. But as F.F. Bruce uh, in his commentary put it, Barak sought not his own honor but the triumph of Yahweh and his people. That he was still willing to lead God's people to victory. David was also given promises by God that he would be made king, that he would give him a throne that would last forever, the Lord would conquer his enemies, and on and on. Nevertheless, persevering faith looks not only to the immediate promises of God, but also to the ultimate promises of God. If we skip down to verse 39 here in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews says that these people were commended through their faith but did not receive what was promised. Now, I'm not going to spoil Jeff's sermon next Sunday by explaining what this means. Plus, he'll do a much better job with it. But ultimately, these people of faith did obtain temporary promises from God, but the ultimate promise of everlasting deliverance was still in the distant future. From our perspective, the ultimate promises have been fulfilled in Jesus. So the promise has arrived. But the ultimate glorification and resurrection of our bodies, which has been promised, is still in the future. It's that already-not-yet tension. When they were tempted to waver in their faith, they persevered in faith, trusting in God's promises for the future. You know, sometimes I think... We need that too. I was listening to a sermon this week in my spare time, and the pastor was talking about this constant reminder we need of how the story ends. And he read these verses from Revelation chapter 7. They comforted and encouraged my soul, and I pray that they do the same for you. Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 12. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's how the story ends. We need to remind ourselves of that. When we are caught up with our daily struggles and trials, daily occurrences, we often forget to keep our eyes focused on how the story ends. If God has promised to defeat sin, death, and the devil, he will do so. He is a man, a God of his word. Faith perseveres by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. It perseveres by believing God's promises for the future. And third, faith perseveres by trusting God's deliverance in the here and now. Trusting God's deliverance in the here and now. Each of these people in this uh, narrative in Hebrews was delivered at one time or another. As in the case of David, he was delivered time and time again... He kept cutting off Saul's robe to prove to Saul that God was faithful to deliver. Elijah, through faith, trusted God to deliver him from the edge of the sword of Jezebel. Daniel, through faith, trusted God to deliver him from the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego received no promise of salvation, no promise of deliverance, but persevered anyway. They were willing to go to the fiery pit without knowing if God would save them, but he did. He delivered them. Samson was constantly being delivered from the Philistines, even after he was making mistakes and breaking his Nazarite vow. He struck down a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. You thought Jason Bourne was the ultimate fighter. He never met Samson. You know, even after Samson's hair was cut and his eyes were gouged out, God gave him his strength back when he prayed. He tore down the temple, killing all inside, including himself. And even in his death, Samson trusted God to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. There are countless other examples that we do not have time for, but the essence is this. A faith that perseveres trusts God to deliver. Now at this point, we need to talk for a minute about deliverance and the gospel, Deliverance is not based on God's ability. He is all-powerful and always able to deliver. And if you look at the second half of these verses, we can read how people had persevering faith but were not delivered. They were killed, tortured, mocked, flogged, imprisoned, and more. Why were some of these people delivered and others not? It was not the strength of their faith that delivered them, ...or anything else they had to offer, it was a solely a result of God's purposes and God's will. God is able to deliver even though he may not actually do it. If we think of deliverance, though, as strictly a you know, military mindset, battles and wars... ...might think, well, we haven't needed to be delivered from oppressors here in America since the Revolutionary War... So for our context, I think more often than not, we are praying for God's deliverance through faith. We are praying for healing, among other things. We're praying to be delivered from physical, emotional, mental ailments, from cancer, depression, anxiety. Or maybe it's just a constant pain that you have every day from when you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed at night. We pray asking God, will you not deliver me from this? Well, we pray and we want an answer. Trip Lee, uh, is a recording artist, but he is also a pastor. Last week, uh, beginning of last week, he spoke at the Gospel Coalition, had a great sermon on faith and healing. He also is a young pastor, young father, and he has a chronic fatigue syndrome, a disease that doctors really can't do anything for him. And he preached a message on the leper coming to Jesus to seek healing. And he summed up the leper's request in this way He said, I know you can, if only you will. I know you can heal me, Jesus, if only you will. So then, when we suffer in one form or another, Trip Lee would go on to say that we must remember three things it's not because God is unable, it's not because God wants us to suffer. So it must be because he has a reason and good purpose in mind as part of his plan. Now for us, this can be a hard pill to swallow at times, right? Especially when we're needing or longing for deliverance and healing. But this is why we remember God's faithfulness in the past. We believe his promises for the future and we trust God's deliverance for the present, for the here and now. The author of Hebrews is encouraging his readers and us today by reminding that the people of God, we need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. And that persevering faith is possible and it's needed for the journey to endure in this life. So what about us? You may read this list of amazing things that God did through these men and think, God could never use someone like me to do anything like that. Or maybe you've been waiting for God's deliverance or healing for you or someone you love and think, if God can do that for others, why isn't he doing that for me? We might say, God, I put my faith in you. Now you owe it to me to heal me. You owe it to me to deliver me because I trusted you. But God is not a genie in a bottle. As Pastor Tripley put it, faith is not giving God an assignment and holding him to it. Faith is believing he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Here is the truth. God can use you. God can deliver you. God can heal you. Persevere in faith. So we see that God uses ordinary people who trust him in faith to bring deliverance to his people. But what do I mean by ordinary people? These, you know, chapter 11 doesn't seem too ordinary. But from even just in these verses, there's three things that I think that we can see that God does use ordinary people like us. One, it's not based on your family of origin. Two of these men were born to barren women. Another was the son of a prostitute. Two others were the youngest in their household. Does not matter what ethnicity you are or country you come from, the parents you were born to, the way you were raised, the color of your skin, the language you speak, God can bring deliverance. Second, it's not based on the strength of your faith. Gideon needed sign after sign before he eventually obeyed and went to war against Midian. Samson cared more about his relationships with women than in keeping his Nazarite vow. Barak wouldn't go to battle unless Deborah went with him. David didn't trust the Lord to fight for him, so he took a census of the people to see how large his army was. For most of these guys, when God met them and gave them a mission, their faith was small. But as they witnessed his faithfulness, their faith grew and grew and grew. It grew into a faith which persevered. It does not matter if you've been following Jesus for 20 years or 20 minutes. God can bring deliverance. And third, it's not based on the depth of your failures. We definitely do not have time for the examples that would go on this list. Gideon made a golden ephod with the spoils of war, and scripture says that it became a stumbling block for all of Israel. We know of Samson and David's failures. Even the people mentioned earlier in this chapter, like Abraham and Moses, they all had major failures in their life. So it does not matter how badly you think you've messed up or failed, God can bring deliverance. So we know he can bring deliverance, so then we ask, when? How long, O oh Lord? When will you deliver us? Brothers and sisters, I have great news. He already has. Right? In the person of Jesus, his son, God has delivered us in a way that is far greater ...than physical healing, deliverance from oppressors, or freedom from those nasty habits. In Jesus, he has delivered us from sin and death. But then maybe we ask, what about the list of things that God did through these people, through their faith? I want that. In Jesus, we have it all. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms. Jesus conquered the kingdom of darkness... Through faith, they enforced justice. Jesus enforces justice and strikes down nations with a sword that comes from his mouth, it says in Revelation 19. Through faith, they obtained promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of all promises, even the first promise of deliverance. He is the offspring of Adam and Eve that will crush the head of the snake. Through faith, they stopped the mouths of lions. Jesus, stop the gates of hell itself. I'm going to keep going. Through faith, they put foreign armies to flight. Jesus will consume all the armies of Satan with fire from heaven. Revelation 20. Through faith, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, the first of the children of God. Through faith, they quenched the power of fire. Jesus quenched the wrath of God. Once and for all, when he hung on the cross and cried, It is finished. Yes, I will pray for deliverance. I will pray for healing. I will remember the faithfulness of God. I will believe his promises for the future. I will trust his deliverance. I will continually put my faith in a faithful God. Why? Because he has already met my greatest need. My need for a savior so today we celebrate jesus entry into jerusalem not for the same reasons that they did they were not praising him because they knew he would die a week later on a criminal's cross for their sins but we know this and we celebrate and praise him for the perseverance of jesus as he entered jerusalem knowing what awaited him And through our remembrance of what he did, we turn ourselves as the community of faith to praise and worship and say, hallelujah, what a savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just overjoyed seeing the truth of scripture, seeing how you have delivered your people. We pray for the faith that emboldens, a faith that encourages, a faith that perseveres, that we would take this faith, we would tell stories of your faithfulness to our kids, to our grandkids, that we would tell stories of your faithfulness to our neighbors, to the people around us because you are a faithful God who delivers his people. We thank you for your son Jesus and the fact that he was willing to persevere, come to Jerusalem knowing what awaited him. We thank you for Jesus as our Savior, and it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.